Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Oh man, I am extra excited to record this episode today because it's been like three weeks. <laughs> yeah, I'm like grinning from ear to ear to be back on the pod with you, Ash. Yeah, same. That's why my intro was like especially excited today. We are talking about the villains in Star Trek Picard. Dun dun dun. <laughs> season one, everyone. The only season. Yeah. Right now, unless you're watching um, from after February 2022, then you can slap us because there's two seasons. Yeah, but... unless you like use some chronoton particles yeah. to go into the future or like hopped on a whale probe, but that's the only way really. Whale probe. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of whale probes, a little bit. <laughs> I just know this does not involve whale probes, so thank you for that beautiful transition. Go for You're it. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, we had talked a little bit last pod about our upcoming series, but Ashlyn, I thought you could tell the fans here a tiny bit about our upcoming series after Villains. Okay, I stand corrected. Your transition does include whale probes. Correct. Diana. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, our next series is going to be movies. So Ooh. if you listened to the end of the last podcast of Discovery, we made this announcement. And so I want everyone to start getting really hyped up because I kind of feel like this upcoming movie series mm-hmm. is going to be our Destiny series, the one that both of us have been looking forward to for a really long time. And we already have a guest planned for our second episode so yeah just get ready we have one more episode of lower decks villains after today's episode of course and then we will launch right into the movie series so go ahead grab your friend who's been going through the colonar and (laughs) grab your pajama looking uniform and we will be taking on the motion picture in about a couple weeks here Yeah, I'm actually going to do some like advanced research too, which I'll tell you guys later, but I'm just very excited. So thank you all for tuning in and we can't wait for you to all join us for the movie series. But as of right now, we're doing villains. Yes. And villains in Picard. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, my cat has the zoomies. She's like running around like crazy. So if you hear her a little in the pod, it's kind of out of my control at this point. (laughs) Before we jump into the villains and who we'd run away with and everything, Ashlyn, first I want to discuss a little bit such exciting news and something that warms my heart is the fact that we had our one year anniversary of the podcast. We celebrated it on September 18th because that was the day that we posted our very first podcast episode of the pilot of the original series. So we wanted to first offer a big thank you to everyone who has stuck with us from the beginning, to people who are just joining, to anyone in between who listens to the occasional pod or tunes in every week, whoever you are, wherever you are, we love you and we are so grateful to have spent a year on this wonderful podcast. Yes, Rihanna, that was a really beautiful little paragraph about our podcast. September 18th, it really hit me differently knowing that we have 
been making this podcast for a year because as we've talked about in a lot of previous podcasts, we have been Star Trek fans for so long and we've been having these types of conversations for over 10 years. Yeah. And so I feel like this is just such an important part of our lives that we get to have this outlet where we get to talk about Star Trek with each other. And we're already besties and we're able to talk about one of our favorite shows ever. So it's just been an amazing year for me, a Star Trek filled year to be sure. I just wanted to mention since we're celebrating this year anniversary, how both of our perspectives have changed throughout this year. So when we were first making the podcast, the first episode was a labor of love. It took us like three hours to record. Mm -hmm. I think it was a little over three hours and that was just on one episode. Can you believe that? That wasn't even like all these long series that we've been doing. That was just one episode. It was the Where No Man Has Gone Before for the pilot series. Mm -hmm. Once we had it recorded, it took us about two weeks to edit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and like not just editing through listening to it once. No, we edited it all the way with each of us listening carefully and then we also both then separately went and listened to the podcast to make sure the flow sounded good to make sure we were all ready and then went through and added any edits we had then yeah i was really adamant about that second listen through after the edits because i was terrified thinking what if we made a huge mistake in the editing and like we cut one of us off mid-sentence and jumped to like an entire next section what if it ended weirdly like (laughs) on accident in the wrong section i was so obsessed and i think we both were with making sure that we had as close to a perfect product as possible what i have learned throughout this entire process is that there's no such thing as a perfect product because sometimes a perfect episode involves us laughing hysterically and like blasting out our microphones or us saying something that maybe is wrong but then the other one corrects it you know or maybe our audio levels are off but what matters ultimately is that we are doing justice to these wonderful Star Trek episodes and that we are finding something new and getting something powerful out of them. So I think I just really feel grateful for all of the writers on Star Trek, all of the actors, and I'm just grateful that I've been able to use my creativity to put into this podcast. Yeah, Ashlyn, that was gorgeously said, and I cannot agree more. I think that this podcast has allowed me a different type of artistic expression than I ever would have imagined because I'm a writer and so this is completely opposite to my medium like almost exactly to the type of stuff that I do in my art and so it was a really interesting way to like branch out for me because I can express myself way better via letter than I ever could just talking to someone and so I think that this podcast really actually helped me too to learn how to articulate well and how to really say what I'm trying to say verbally, you know? I mean, of course I have these notes written down and pointers and all of that, but once you're here on the podcast, you're just being recorded and of course there's edits, you can take stuff out you don't like or whatever, but ultimately it comes down to how well you speak about the topic that you love. And I think that Ashlyn and I have 
a really fun dynamic that like we knew we needed to share with people. I cannot be more grateful for this year. I mean, it really pulled me out of some dark places. Like Star Trek in general is a way to pull anyone really out of a moment of solitude or sadness or even a way to sit with it in like a way that's healthy of watching Star Trek, you know? And so... I think through different series too, I learned so much about myself through the process, which sounds cheesy, but it's just true. You know, I mean, Star Trek does teach us so much about humanity and about how we are as people. And I think that I learned so much when talking about family or talking even about these villains, you know, I learned so much about what makes people tick the way they do and what makes characters be written the way they are. And Star Trek really does it the best, you know? I mean, truly. Also because we get, you know, massive mountains of content. But even so, I am just so grateful to have this podcast. And I think we've really grown in this year. What do you think, Ashlyn? (laughs) I really think we have. We have cut down our editing time from two weeks to about two to three days. Yeah. Honestly. And we used to both edit together where Rihanna would do the editing and then I would listen at the same time and comment like, oh, take that out. I didn't like what I said. And now like, nah, like just one (laughs) of us does it. Usually it's Rihanna. Um, Mm. And (laughs) she's always mad when I say that, but like Rihanna does two thirds of the editing, I think. Yeah, but we've also, especially in our four hour long Deep Space Nine villains (laughs) podcast, we literally just split it up and gave each other two hours. So that was perfect because then it gives us both time. I think because like, Sorry to steal your thunder, Ashlyn, but I feel like we're very critical of ourselves when we listen to this podcast. At least whenever I hear myself, I think, oh, I sounded terrible there. Or like, I already made this point six times. I'm going to delete it all. But I hear Ashlyn, I'm like, wow, she's so eloquent and fluid. And she's always thinking ahead. And she has all these incredible points and no time is wasted. So I feel the exact same way where I edit my points down to the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, Rihanna just said a poem on accident. So... (laughs) I'm like leaving whatever she's saying. (laughs) Yeah, so honestly, when we split it up, it kind of evens it out perfectly. (laughs) Yeah, it's been so much fun just seeing how the process has changed, how much more streamlined it's become. And also just to remind all you listeners that it is just the two of us. We don't have any help with anything. I mean, I will say we do have help via support from our significant others who either watch the episodes with us or just like allow us to have the big TV in the living room because Uh we have to watch for the podcast podcast so (laughs) shout out to my husband and to Rihanna's girlfriend (laughs) yeah I mean they're the real stars here I think my girlfriend has seen more Star Trek than she ever thought she would in this year (laughs) (laughs) yeah whenever we're watching a series that isn't Voyager she always asks Rihanna where's Janeway (laughs) literally like any other series just pales in comparison for her she's like if it's not Janeway I don't want it (laughs) which you know fair enough Yeah, I do kind of agree with that. I also am using this movie series secretly as a way to get my husband to watch all of the movies because he's seen the original series movies, I think half of them, Mm. and I'm gonna get him on to all of them plus TNG as well. So (laughs) that's my secret plan. That's also my secret plan. So I'm Ah. glad we're in cahoots here. (laughs) Excellent. Well, I think then we should challenge our listeners to before every movie that we release, re-watch these Star Trek movies and please bring your SO, bring your children, bring your friends. Yeah. Bring someone who's never seen Star Trek before and let's just 
have a great time watching these movies. And also bring a timer because I think you should time how long in the motion picture they go and look at the Enterprise because it's always fun to figure out how many exact minutes it takes. Oh (laughs) my god. Okay, we have to put a pin in this because that will be coming up in a couple weeks. Yep. But I just want to wrap up this by saying... This journey has been so awesome, Rihanna, and we've been on so many journeys together, you and Mm -hmm. I, but this has definitely been one of my favorite ones. The same. And I love making this podcast. I hope we make it. Till we're 80 or 90. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone will be like, oh, these old ladies need to quit. Like, we're talking about love and affection in and, <laughs> and season 18 of Picard. <laughs> this is it's... the second animated series that they spinned off of the character of A-Rex, and we're going to delve into his character <laughs> for five weeks. <laughs> Actually, I would delve into A-Rex for five weeks, so don't even test me. Um, I'm ready to talk about his children so Mm -hmm. let's go Uh, (laughs) anyway thank you all for listening this year has been fantastic we hope you will continue to listen on for the rest of the year and for this week also we wanted to do another shout out to a listener of the podcast so i am a avid writer of fan fiction and so a while back i wrote a fan fiction with kirk and spock in it It takes place right after joining the babel i was very inspired after we watched the family series and so then at the bottom i was like well these are star trek fans i might as well promote the pod and so i said go ahead and listen to dura sisters podcast if you want and then Savik of Vulcan responded and says, I've read this fic how many times? Six? It is amazing every time. I relate to it so much and you did so well. I love your podcast as well. I hope you and your sister are doing well. So thank oh. you to Savik of Vulcan on Archive of Our Own who read my fanfic and also like listened to our podcast. That is so thoughtful and I'm really glad you're enjoying it and I hope that you're doing well too. I love that we have all these different mediums where people are reaching out to us Mm because we've had messages on Instagram, Twitter, archive of our own, Facebook, uh, just people supporting us. So thank you, Savik of Vulcan. And I'm pretty sure that is the actual Savik who's reaching out to us. So (laughs) I feel like it's it's very high praise. I hope that they like my Kirk and Spock fanfic then. I hope Savik (laughs) enjoys it and doesn't feel too jealous. I know. Yeah, Savik might be a little jealous, but I'm glad that she likes it. Yeah. And now, Rihanna, I'm asking you a big question. Okay. A gigantic, important question. Who, out of all these villains in Star Trek Picard, and in fact, let me remind you who some of these villains are. Please, so yeah. So then I can kill two birds with one stone. Love that, Ashlyn. <laughs> Rihanna, today we are talking about Narek, Nerissa, Commodore O, the Tal Shiar, the Synths, Bajazel, and a tiny bit, like one sentence about Dr. Soon. So out of these people, or even like a random person I didn't mention, who would you run away with in Star Trek Picard? (sighs) This is a tough one, Ashlyn. Hmm. You know, there was a lot of interesting villains in this, but I honestly think I would run away with the synth who looks like Soji, but she's on the planet. I don't know her name. Like but the golden one? The golden one. The golden Soji. <laughs> and here's my reasoning. 
She studied Vulcan for like years. We could share our love about Vulcan culture. She's totally a like Vulcanophile. I don't know what you would say to that, but like she's obsessed with Vulcan culture like I am. And so I feel like she could teach me how to mind meld. We could like talk about logic. And then I could be like, yo, why'd you kill that synth? <laughs> Why are you trying to start Armageddon? You know, all this stuff, the usual. I'm just gonna interject real quick and say, so you wanna be her compass like Kestra has, but mm. also Kestra's compass doesn't work. <gasps> yeah. So I'm saying that's what you wanna be to her, to Golden it's Soji. True. <laughs> yeah, like I'm kind of this useless organic that she doesn't need around, but like, I feel like I could at least learn a lot from her and that we'd have a good time. Plus Great. like, Issa Bronis is amazing and I'm like, I'm obsessed with you automatically. Yeah, when I found out, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, mm-hmm. we've been doing this for a year now, but when I found out that she sang Blue Skies at the yeah. end of the series, I lost my mind because oh yeah, she's a great singer and she plays all of these androids. Is she going to be back for season two? Did we see her in the trailer? Yeah, we did. Thank God. Okay. I know Ashley I mean, watched the trailer like shot by shot, so... <laughs> I have had a couple nights where I can't sleep, so I just like pause and play the trailer, uh-huh. and I've seen Soji's face. I don't think okay. she talks in any of the trailers, but I have seen her face like run by. So okay, nice. I love that. Can't wait. So Ashlyn, what about you? If you could run away with any Picard villain, who would it be? So these Picard villains are evil. They're yeah. all terrible. Like they're all Goldukat, you know. <laughs> um, and so don't be. Don't be mad. Okay. I'm going to run away with Commander O. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Please explain. Okay, okay. So she is undercover as a Vulcan. She wears these cool shades all the time. She's actually half Vulcan, half Romulan. Oh, jeez. I'm so racist. I'm I just assumed her race. <gasps> wow. Oh jeez. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Okay, <laughs> okay. so was, here's the thing. She has cool shades. True. She is extremely high up in Starfleet. And okay. we learn in the last episode that she's and we can assume that she's extremely high up in the Tal Shiar. True. And so I mean I'm a straight person. But I hate Narek so much that I'm not getting with any of the male villains in the series. I'd rather be with a woman who's really powerful in multiple organizations. Yeah. And so I'm purely using her as a power trip. Like, I'm going to marry her. I'm going to be her cool wife at, like, all the Starfleet dinners. Nice. I'm going to have, like, a sense of influence and power, enjoy all the money that we have. And I'm going to just ignore her um, terrible immorality question then did you also see the um artifact that drove everyone insane or some people insane heck no heck no (laughs) so you don't share her true passion ashlyn (laughs) well i mean i'm only in it for the wealth and power so fair i don't care about being on board with any of her tal shiar rbs (laughs) i like this in it for the shades and the power sounds good Oh, yeah. I have matching shades also. Oh, nice. So you guys can both (laughs) just roll around Starfleet Command like the baddest bosses out there. Yeah, and I see Admiral Janeway at these fancy (gasps) events, and then maybe I'm hitting on her. Yeah, maybe you're like moving along the ladder here. Maybe you end up with Admiral Picard. Who's to say? I mean... That's Ashlyn's real dream. (laughs) So... (laughs) Rihanna did ask me twice this week if I would like bang Picard in any age 
first she asked me Picard, and then a couple of days later she asked me for Patrick Stewart, and I uh-huh. said yes, any age. Yeah, so, any version. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. Okay, well, it's time to get into these episodes. So this is a little bit different. We are kind of going back to the drawing board in this podcast where we are just going to talk about the episodes in order instead of going from villain to villain. So I'm just going to read off the episodes that we rewatched for Picard. We watched the episodes Remembrance, The End is the Beginning, Stardust City Rag, Depente, Broken Pieces, Et in Arcadia Ego, Part 1 and 2. Nice. <laughs> First, I cannot wait to talk about Remembrance because this is probably the best episode of the series. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Ashlyn, I want to talk a little bit about this dream sequence and sadly not address the data side as much as the deeper turmoil that Picard holds surrounding the Mars attack and the synths attack. I mean, clearly, this has been, what, 10 years since Picard's retired? 15? Something Um, around there? In the teens, yes. Yeah, so it's been a while since Picard's been out of Starfleet, but he's still having vivid dreams about the Mars attacks. And understandably, first of all, I mean, thousands upon thousands of people died in this Mars attack that was enacted by the synths, and they have no idea why these synths went rogue. And... I read, of course, The Last Best Hope by Una McCormack, which goes into more detail about the Mars attack at some point, and it was devastating to read about. I really felt horror, just that, like, bottom dropping out of your gut. You know something bad's gonna happen. Like, the whole book, I'm waiting for this Mars attack. We learned that Picard's world gets really turned upside down after this attack. I mean, everyone's does, because it's just such a horrific event. But particularly Picard, because he had been spending so much time and effort, years he'd been spending evacuating the Romulan colonies and planets within the blast zone of the supernova. And so he'd spent so much time on this project. The synths were literally made to build starships that would benefit from the rescue mission. So the reason the synths were even recreated was to help Romulus. And this is what creates such terrible tension between Starfleet and Picard particularly, but also Starfleet and Romulus and like Romulans in general is because there's always been tension between them, but particularly now because the Romulans are the ones who need the help and Starfleet is the ones that are offering it for just the goodness of their hearts until this Mars attack. They're saying, we did this for you. We mass produced all these ships quickly using these synths that were just built off like base coding. These are not supposed to be hyper intelligent synths like data. These are just ones to sort of do the robot work that they need in order to build the ships to save Romulus and save all of the Romulans they can from the supernova. So we see in this interview scene and everything, and I think this interviewer is also a villain, but also the media is sort of a villain in this first episode because literally Gibran, one of the Romulans who's living with Picard, asked her three times not to bring up Picard's separation from Starfleet because it's clearly a subject that haunts Picard because he resigned from Starfleet after they pulled out of the Romulan relief effort mission after the Mars attack. So it's all built off each other. And that's what's so intense and interesting about Picard as a show is that 
every single connection leads to other villains and other parts of the story and so yeah so these synths went freaking crazy and they killed a bunch of people and that is why there's a synth ban and that is why daystrom does not have a synthetic operations department anymore and all of this stuff so this is what we're sort of coming into the show learning that the synths are the villains but also that the Romulans, there's something going on there with the Telshiar, but we're not quite sure. We know that Romulans are doing sketchy stuff a lot of the time, so it's obviously never clear with the Romulans. It's hard to parse through in the beginning of this episode what is going on besides the fact that the Telshiar seems to be hunting down this android named Dodge. Yes, and the interview as important it is to the episode it's also vital to us as watchers for the first time around because it's basically just exposition about what has happened in the gap between all these star trek series because the last time we saw picard was in the next generation movies and nemesis when data died already spoilers for nemesis but yeah. like i mean i mean it's watching, in there <laughs> if you're watching picard you know that data's dead yeah i'm just like always sad to say it Ugh. um anyway yeah so i think the interviewer like obviously from a writing perspective they had to talk about like why picard left starfleet even though it was a terrible discussion for him to have but also, yeah, Rihanna, I totally agree with you. The thing that's so cool about setting up the Tal Shiar as the main villains is that you don't even know that they're the main villains until much deeper into the series. Mm-hmm. And if I had to guess who the villain was from the first episode, I would say it's Starfleet because yeah. I'm so lined up with Starfleet ideals. <laughs> and I'm so used to Starfleet being always awesome, except for Section 31, mm-hmm. that this show is already telling me from the start, do not trust Starfleet. And so in a couple of episodes, when we we're first meeting Commander O and everything, I'm already suspicious because Picard has said, I'm suspicious. This isn't Starfleet. We abandoned the Romulans in their time of need. That's so horrific. Yeah. Ashlyn, thank you for bringing that up because I think another important factor is that it's not just the show telling us that Starfleet is suspect or is not great in this timeline. It's Picard telling us that. And if Picard has lost his faith in Starfleet, like that's scary because he is like Starfleet's poster boy. Yeah, I was going to say poster child. You read my mind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's like posters of Picard and it says, please join Starfleet. <laughs> Literally, we want you for the fleet. Like, <laughs> that's Picard. That's his soul. That's his soul, you know? And so the interviewer asked, why did you leave Starfleet? And he says, because it wasn't Starfleet anymore. You're right, Ashlyn. I really like what you're saying about Starfleet being sort of this, you're questioning all the time. What is going on with them? And I think it really rode the coattails of Discovery well with this you know i think that they did a good job of creating sort of this version of starfleet that even in different time periods we see the cracks and like that's the foundation that deep space nine set up for us in the very beginning of deep space nine and it just really is interesting that picard was in that pilot but anyway (laughs) can't talk about that now but Um, we've been seeing the cracks in starfleet since the 90s folks yeah (laughs) (laughs) they've been there we've just been too naive to look them close in the face because it's like don't look a gift horse in the mouth starfleet is amazing it has no flaws because we want to live up to this ideal world but the writers of quote-unquote new trek are pushing those boundaries and it's very fun to watch and interesting and also devastating because i want to believe in starfleet through and through but these days you can't (laughs) 
Rihanna, I mean, we're going to have to start keeping a tally of how many times you read my mind. <laughs> this is like the fourth time already. Wow. I, I was just going to say that the first time I watched Picard, I was feeling these feelings of shame honestly Mm -hmm. and i was so frustrated that the writers were not aligning themselves with the view of starfleet that we had all throughout the next generation and throughout most of the star trek series Mm -hmm. and honestly that's gene ronberry's vision is a positive view of the future and we have so many science fiction franchises right now that are negative views of the future yeah all of them are about futures that are bleak and hopeless and so for Star Trek as a brand to be producing this show that has the future as being anything but in this time of terrible need that we have as humans I was very frustrated but now I'm like so on board and Mm -hmm. I've seen Picard so many times and Discovery so many times anyway that's my rant about like if you are feeling strange about these new Star Trek shows just give them a chance watch them through, see how you feel after that, because they just do a really good job. Yeah, and they guide you through, and I think that that's what's important, particularly with these first few episodes of Picard, is that, yes, we learn that the Federation betrayed Picard and that Starfleet betrayed its values, but we also learn that the values are still there within people, you know, and we see that it can still grow and be nurtured in these different ways, even with a decidedly motley crew, as Picard says. Exactly. And also, who wants to put their faith in organizations anyway? You know, like, I don't have my faith in Amazon. I have my faith in the Amazon workers who are fighting for their pay and fighting to get a union. Yeah. You know, I don't have any faith in Jeff Bezos. So similarly, you know, with Starfleet, I have faith in the individuals. And that's what Picard has taught me as a show is you got to be the one to make the change. Absolutely. So back to a point I had very long ago about, okay, sure, is Starfleet the villain? Not actually. It's really the Tal Shiar. They're setting this up as the secret villain because they are a secret organization after all. Mm -hmm. But we do get a hint of this. And I literally have never noticed this before. But when I was watching this first episode, Remembrance, when these agents dressed in black beam into Dodge's apartment with her boyfriend... They start speaking in Romulan. Romulan. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of them says English. And then he gives all of the orders to Dodge in English for the rest of the time. And they're all talking in English to each other for the rest of the time. And so I feel like that is a deep hint to anyone who happens to like recognize Romulan as a viewer but also just to say that this goes very very deep and so even though you know they've had all this foreshadowing they're also just giving it to you on a platter saying yep these are Romulans (laughs) yeah and quick crazy thing I noticed which doesn't have anything to do with villains but just shocked me and I have to say it is that Dodge's boyfriend is Zahian and so he comes from Poe's planet (gasps) yeah I know. I was completely shaken by this. She was like, oh, yeah, like, you're intuitive. You're Zahian. And I was like, he's what? (laughs) So anyway, I had to share that with everyone. That's a great Easter egg. Thank you, Mm -hmm. Rihanna. Oh, another really fun little Easter egg I found when Picard is about to go to his interview. He says something in French, and I kept going back like five or six times trying to figure out what he said because the subtitles just say, Picard speaks in French or whatever. (laughs) Um, And so I literally was like... 
what does he say? And then I'm pretty sure I heard the guillotine and I heard something like awaits because then Gibran accuses him of being dramatic. But literally Picard is like the guillotine awaits. And so I really feel like this is the show where they set it up where Picard is literally like, the guillotine awaits like this is all that's left for me you know so anyway i just thought that was really interesting also really quick i found this correlation to be really interesting is that the fact that we hear multiple times people talking about history and like in the interview Picard brings up Dunkirk and the interview lady is clearly not aware of what it is, which is pretty much a no-win scenario, essentially, Dunkirk is. And many lives were saved because of the sacrifices, but a lot uh, of people because died. Of, because of civilians. Civilians yeah. rose up and were able to help those stranded. For those of you who are like the reporter and don't know, yeah. or, and also missed the great movie with Chris Pine. Right. <laughs> Chris Pine was not in Dunkirk. Yes, he was. What part? Are you kidding me? He was the main character. <laughs> what? No, he wasn't. Rihanna. Tom Hardy was in it, and like Harry Styles. Rihanna, literally, he was the main character. <laughs> oh, in no. I can't believe I got that wrong. I'm sorry. Okay, Look okay. Him. Anyway, you're right, you're right. I completely <laughs> blocked that out. <laughs> so I'm okay. saying yeah. that I think Star Trek fans have a higher probability of seeing Dunkirk because of Chris Pine. Because of Chris Pine, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you, Ashlyn, our little history coordinator here. <laughs> um, recent history with the movie, but... Yeah, yeah, true. He says to her, you're a stranger to history, a stranger to war. I think this is a very prudent point and something that we discussed a little bit in Deep Space Nine is that war times act completely different than how times of peace do. Picard has been through enough wars and been through enough combat to see this and to know the difference. And I think that it's interesting because later on, when they're talking about Romulan mythology being akin to the daily news, or they talk about the myth of the destroyer, how it was actually just history and history always tends to repeat itself. And so I think just like keep your ears out and eyes out for that as we're talking about and watching these episodes, because they do discuss history a lot and the danger of its repetition. That is a great point. And I think that honestly, Khan's greatest mistake was thinking that Moby Dick was history. (laughs) (laughs) Rihanna, that is a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. We do tend to rely so much on history because we are all just trying to find our way through our present situations. Mm -hmm. And both individuals and organizations tend to rely on what they learned in the past to move forward. So I think that's a really good point. I also want to bring up something in this episode I thought was so effing bizarre. Mm -hmm. So when we first meet Narek, and I should say when Soji first meets Narek on the recaptured Borg cube, she happens to run into Narek and he's introducing himself. And he, in order to get in her pants slash gain her trust. So Narek says that he had a brother that they lost unexpectedly last year. And so I'm wondering, was this actually true? Or is this just something to gain her sympathy? So Soji can then say, oh, this guy's like in mourning, how sad I should sleep with him. (laughs) Ashlyn, I wrote this exact same question down. So point for you for reading my mind because 
literally because every other time I've heard it, I'm like, oh, he's using his sob story as an advantage, or he's like using the death of his brother as this way to get close to her. But now I'm watching it through a villain lens. I'm like, he probably just made that stuff up. He doesn't. He has a sister. I don't not think that we ever hear about a brother in that little family of theirs. No. This was my conclusion as well. Just because it is never brought up ever again. Yeah. I mean, the only time, sorry to interrupt, but the only time that he has another family discussion about his family and his bigger family than just Nerissa, his sister, is when he was like, I'm not the stupid brother now, am I? Because it seems like the rest of their family was in the Jadvash, which is the even more secret organization that's trying to get rid of synths. And so it seems like because Nerissa went and saw the crazy artifact that makes some people go crazy, it seems like her mother did and her grandmother, like it's a very ancestral tradition. Yeah, her aunt. And so it seems like all the women, like Narek was the only male in the family who was sort of disgraced, he said, like the disgraced brother. And so that's how he's always felt in his family dynamic. And so, yeah, I did not hear anything about her brother. I think he just straight up lied about it. I think he did too. Thank you for confirming my suspicions. Mm-hmm. I uh, I hate him even more. <laughs> right? So Rihanna has this amazing Star Trek group who she joined in San Francisco and she watches a lot of episodes with them. And we actually even had the creator of that group, Ed Johnson, on our podcast talking about Picard in our family series, which actually I was really thinking about while I was watching Depente. Mm-hmm. But Same. anyway. <laughs> so in the Star Trek group, Rihanna, I remember you telling me that people thought that Narek was hot. Oh my God. Like half the group was like, where's that oh. hottie Romulan? I was oh. like, what? I was like, maybe I'm just too gay for this. I can't see it. But like, I don't know. I do not think. Apparently he's got sort of the, this like swagger about him or it's the fact that he's like not like your average Romulan. You know how Romulans are very stereotypical in Star Trek? They've got like all the same clothes, the same shoulder pads, (laughs) like (laughs) everything's the same about Romulans. And so he's got like a leather jacket, these like combat boots. And so I guess he's sort of like a baddie, question mark? I mean, he has a beard and I like beards. Yeah. I don't know. The thing for me is like, he's fine looking if he didn't speak. (laughs) He didn't open his mouth. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't like his disposition. He just seems like really whiny to me and really clingy. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, he literally told Soji he loves her in, like, the third episode. And I was like, bro. Yeah, okay. So I think let's go into this. Yeah. Obviously, he really did fall in love with Soji. I think that is true. And even though he was trying not to and his sister said that was stupid, I think he actually did fall for Soji while he was trying to gain information from her. Mm-hmm. And so he's both betraying her and fulfilling out his duty yeah. while he's choosing to get so comfy cozy with her. And I don't know. I just feel like, I just don't like him. He's just so 2D and like, oh, too bad. I I don't know. What do, what do you I think know, of Narek? I really feel the, the sort of tone you're making is how I feel about <laughs> Narek as well. Like, I just, he's so blah. I don't really care. Like, I don't care that he fell in love with her. I don't care that his sister is sort of domineering and obsessive. I don't care that they have this weird sort of incesty relationship. I just don't give a F about this character as much as I wish to have for a major villain like him. 
you know? And I think as we're watching Picard for the first time, there's definitely some suspicion around him, especially once we meet his sister and we know that they're sort of in cahoots, that they're talking about ways to get to Soji. And Narek's always pushing for more time. He's like, just give me a couple more sessions and I'll be there or whatever. And I don't know, it's not appealing enough to me and there's not enough of a redemption. Like, yes, he ends up joining forces with Picard's team and they get stuff done together. And it's like this sort of use of comedy to be like, haha, now this evil manipulative boyfriend guy is on their side and they're gonna bring in a soccer ball and like all of this stuff, you know, that it feels sort of half worked over at least. His character is sort of how I felt. We never got a true redemption arc, but we never got enough of a villain arc either. Yes. I totally agree with that. He strangely walks the line between villain and just like side character. Yeah. (laughs) And I wish I would have had more of a background. I wish I would have had more information about why is he the disgraced brother? Yeah. Because I don't don't think we know besides what your hypothesis was, Rihanna, about how in Romulan society, it seems like they really actually value women. (laughs) Well, I don't think in Romulan society, I think only in the Jad Vash. uh... But also in Elnor's True, and in the Quat Malat. That's yeah, true. And, and in the Quat Malat. Yeah, I just feel like there's true. like, yeah, I mean, we have like nuns, <laughs> but they're not like crime fighting, you know? You never know, Ashlyn. I, you're right. I mean, I'm. <laughs> Don't make not... non assumptions. Oh, Jesus. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, I don't know. So that's my complaint about Narek. I hope you don't only think I'm like objectifying him for his appearance. But for (laughs) me, I just feel like there's just not enough writing for me to really appreciate him as a villain. And as you said, he turns to the quote unquote good side. But I feel like his sister, Nerissa, is a much more powerful villain and a much more effective villain in the show because she is clearly running the operation on the captured board cube. She's the one overseeing and clearly watching all of the cameras because in a couple episodes when Picard and his motley crew get to the board cube, we have Elnor aboard and he's helping Hugh try to save the cube and save all the XBs. We see that Nerissa is watching them the entire time and she's has them totally under surveillance and nothing is escaping her grasp. And also we see I love this. Here is uh, Nerissa's greatest hits right yeah. now. Um, so we also see in the eighth episode, Broken Pieces, that Nerissa is the only Romulan who is able to withstand the terrible prophetic vision that Commodore O shows her yeah. and shows the rest of the Jatvash because so many of the women either kill themselves or severely injure themselves after they see this horrific vision of the future. But Narissa just has a tear run down her cheek and she says, we got to stop them. What do we do? Yeah. So basically to me, like she's a much more effective and powerful villain in the series and I fear her much more. And I think her greatest weakness is her brother. So Mm -hmm. maybe I'm answering my own question. Like why is Narek like so underwritten and why is he so disgraced? It's because he's terrible. (laughs) Yeah, Ashlyn, I really like what you said about that is her weakness is Narek. And I feel like she does have a weakness for family because we do get a glimpse into her sitting at her aunt's bedside and talking to her about how she's going to fulfill this plan and she's going to destroy all the synths and that 
she just needs her aunt to wake up to help her. And I think that she feels very lonely and lost, you know, in this huge daunting task. I mean, it's her and O, and then of course people who O commands, which is a gigantic armada. I mean, she's got a big fleet, but like they don't understand the true horror of what they saw at the ammunition, the artifact thing. I think you're right, Ashlyn. She does have a weakness when it comes to family. And that honestly, I think made it easier for Narek to say, hey, I just need a couple more days. I just need this. When really, I think Narek could have gotten it out of Soji a lot sooner, but he was towing the line between not being suspicious, but also not getting too close. And he failed in the not getting too close part, but he took Soji through that whole Romulan ritual that made her tell about her homeworld and everything. So he got her there and he ended up doing the manipulating that Nerissa needed. But I think that Nerissa gave Narek a lot more allowances because they're siblings than if, you know, if he was some random lackey. It was like a red shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I totally agree with you. I think she would have had this information out of Soji, like, in a torture chamber in the first episode. <laughs> Although she would have activated then, so they had to be careful. True. Yeah, I mean, that's the danger, messing with synths. Which, Ashlyn, can we talk a little bit about this activation process? I know we're jumping around, but that's sort of the nature of this episode. Yeah, we are in Jump Around Central. Please. Yeah, so I am really curious about how this was coded into Soji and Dodge's neural network or whatever it may be that created them is that dodge seems to be activated when the sack or whatever gets put over her head that's what i realized is that's when they were like she's active and that's when she starts to like attack everyone and from then on out she has more advanced hearing more advanced skills and combat all of this stuff that like a regular android have essentially and or at least regular being Data, who is very irregular and irreplaceable and anything. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so I don't know. I'm just curious because I'd think the activation would have started when they have her pinned down and they're putting the nodes on her head and asking her, where are you from? You know, are there more of you? Which also shows that they don't have a lot of intel about this. As much as Commodore O and as much as Nerissa saw from that vision, they didn't see clearly the two sisters where they were, if they existed, you know? I mean, they know from the myth and they know from history that there will be this threshold of synthetic life that will then call upon some evil destroyer or whatever, but they don't have a lot of the specific facts. And so I thought that was really interesting is when the Tal Shiar is questioning Daj before she activates, they're asking her, are there more of you? Where are they? There's a lot of stuff that's up in the air for them. And that's why, of course, Nerissa's trying so hard to get this information out of Soji. But I wonder how this process works. And if there should have been some sort of homing beacon that like Data had, you know, when Soon was dying that told him, I must go home now. And he does anything within his capability to go home. But maybe Maddox and Soon were afraid that then they would lead the enemy to the home world. I don't know. I just have a lot of questions and very little answers. So maybe you can shed some light, Ashlyn. I mean, man, I am not working with too much because we don't know a lot of these answers. But what my guess is, is that Soji and Dodge were created to integrate into society without even themselves knowing that they were androids. Like, this is basic facts. This is episode one facts. Mm -hmm. And so I can imagine that Bruce Maddox slash Soon, who 
created them because soon created them right bruce maddox maddox bruce maddox realized that he could get a single neuron from data's neural net he came up with the idea and you know they tried to use before but he was corrupted all of that stuff but yeah i mean i think it was soon who created the body i think it was maddox who laid all the groundwork scientifically okay so i'm correct in saying bruce slash soon yeah i think because they placed Dodge and Soji in society, I think that they did not plan on contacting them anytime soon, but obviously wanted to keep them safe. And so my guess is that because adrenaline is all chemical mm-hmm. and so is fear, you know? And so I'm guessing that if their threshold of adrenaline and fear reached a certain level then they would activate and so Mm -hmm. then they were able to protect themselves and so i don't think it matters that it was when she was under the bag that she activated i think it matters that that was when she was the most afraid and most unable to help herself and so then when that happened boom thanks dads um (laughs) now she can protect herself and get herself out of the situation i also think that this mom who is clearly a hologram. I don't think mm-hmm. this, like, person actually exists. No. Um, or she's just, like, on she's hold. Like, they said she's, like, a subroutine almost. <laughs> a yeah. subroutine. Yeah. Um, she's telling her, go to Picard, and that is what is happening in Dodge's mind, is go to Picard. And so, for whatever reason, soon, I think probably more soon than Bruce told them, go to Picard especially yeah. Dodge I mean obviously like Soji hadn't activated she doesn't even activate till much later in the series mm-hmm. but so that's my guess is that it's all about the chemicals that happen in the body that's I obviously genius. obviously don't know that's really <laughs> genius Ashley I love that theory it makes a lot of sense the only thing that doesn't add up to me then is when Soji does activate once she learns that narik is trying to kill her and trying to get the location of her home world she's like busting out of that room and going down multiple levels of this cube she does not have that inherent trust of picard and that makes of course the plot more tricky and it makes it harder for them to connect and relate and actually start to form a bond of trust and i think writing character wise it's very smart to have her not have that inherent trust that dodge did because it creates such a difference in the characters that we see but engineered plot wise i don't really get why she wouldn't have the same instinct that picard is trustworthy and safe i think it's a kind of a different situation because what activated her was kind of a security threat you know mm. Narek discovered her home world and yeah. so too soon that's a huge issue because yeah. that's where he lives and that's where <laughs> his whole family is right and so i think she was kind of in like obviously she's activated fight or flight she's fighting her way out so she can survive and then picard happens to appear right at that moment i don't think it's the same situation yeah you're do, right do, do, do you kind of know what i'm saying i like, totally do because yeah. if it's a security breach versus i'm randomly activated and need guidance go to picard true and then security breach is like 911 i'm calling dr soon there's yeah. people coming picard's more the 411 and soon is more the 911 <laughs> yeah yeah i mean not that soon is even contacted but uh, yeah but i hope you yeah everyone understands yeah metaphors. absolutely that's a very very good point thank you ashlyn yeah 
So I think moving through the season a little bit, you want to talk, I mean, no one wants to talk about Bejazel, but I think we should briefly discuss her. Absolutely. She is a monster and she murdered my child, Ichib. Yeah. So she's the worst. She's awful. Do you agree with Picard in saying that Seven should not have killed her for vengeance? I mean, I gotta say, there was that part of me that was just cheering like, you know what, when Bejazel got freaking obliterated. <laughs> because it's hard. And I think it's really genius that the writers did it in this way, that they introduced the episode with Ichab's death, and they introduced Seven from this perspective. Obviously, we see her in a glimpse before when she's like, you owe me a ship, Picard, and then passes out or whatever. But this is the first deep plot we're getting of Seven of Nine is a flashback to Ichab's death and to just the torture and horror he went through before his death. He wasn't even under a medically induced coma or anything. He was just having his parts taken away from him while he was conscious. So like that is just horrible in so many aspects. But the fact that Seven has to be the one to kill him to get him out of his misery, you know, and all of this stuff adds on this extra horror that has all been orchestrated by Bejazel. And I I mean, yeah, thematically and like plot writing wise, character writing, it's genius, but I'm still devastated and I'm still pissed that Bejazel is alive this whole episode. I'm really mad and I'm so in Seven's corner and I really understand her, but ultimately, yes, I do agree with Picard. Honestly, death is too easy a way out for her, in my opinion. I think prison, you know, to send her to a New Zealand penal colony. Like, she can- Oh my can, gosh, yeah, make her dig some things up, you Yeah, know? it creates too much pain for Seven for me to want to justify that her killing was a good idea. I think in the moment, it relieved some of that grief, but- in the long run, it creates this cycle of vengeance that is very toxic for her and something that she needs to work through, you know, and something that she's not quite ready to face because she spent so much of her life being guided by Janeway. And then whatever happened when they got home and Seven joined the Rangers and everything, it seems like Ashley and I were talking about this, like she doesn't have that guidance anymore and she doesn't have that sound voice of reason saying, hey, maybe don't, you know, like, hey, we all love you. We're here for you. She maybe has somewhat of a rapport like that with the Rangers, but we learned that Bejazel snuck up her way into the ranks of the Rangers, and so she created massive, massive trust issues for Seven of Nine. And I could like rant about this all day because it makes me furious, but Bejazel really lays it out for Seven and for the audience by saying like, yeah, I completely betrayed you. I was getting to you just so I could hear about like your Borg friends and eventually try to get you as a prize to take away for parts. And presumably, like, they were in love or at least lovers, you know, they had some sort of intimate connection that then made it all the more horrific and backstabbing when she is the one doing all these horrible things to Ichib, to our child, a baby that we wanted to protect and that Seven wanted to dearly protect. And so, ooh, like, I'm on the fence. I think that honestly, yeah, I'm glad she's dead, but... No, it's not the best choice. <laughs> what do you think, Ashlyn? Huh. Yeah, you said it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You mentioned that there's no longer a voice of reason in Seven's life to stop her from getting revenge. 
I, I want to say Picard is there being mm-hmm. the voice of reason, but she's not going to listen to him because she doesn't have the same amount of trust. You're so right. That she has with Janeway. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And I also just want to remind our listeners. I mean, I was just watching Arrow for the first time, which is a CW show. And so I'm still on season one. And one of the characters just said to Oliver, when you seek vengeance, you dig two graves. One for your enemy and one for yourself. Mm. And so that's a warning that like, you know, you might die in your pursuit of vengeance. Which luckily, thank God, Seven does not die. But I think a part of her did die. Yeah. And I think she's probably killed people before in a removed way. Like if you're in a starship or, you know, you're firing and people die and it's fine. But the kind of up close and personal murdering that Seven did to Bejazel does stick with you. I am totally behind Seven in her murder, but I I agree with you that, like, maybe she should have been sent to, like, a Romulan prison camp, you know? Yeah. She could have, like, mined for ore or something. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, like, you know, there's there's that X-Men first class quote where um, Charles Xavier goes, Eric, killing will not bring you peace. And Eric goes, peace was never an option because, of course, he's angsty. But, like, <laughs> you know, I think that that's true for Seven as well, that, like, in those moments of revenge, she feels like this is the only way to assage some of the guilt and grief that I'm holding is to enact violence on this other person who caused this guilt and grief. And so particularly with someone who burned her so bad, like Bejazel. I'm surprised that she can even, like, hold hands with Rafi at the end of the season and, like, trust Elnor and trust Picard and the crew and everything because it's just such a horrible betrayal that she went through. But this is why Picard, as a season, I think, did a lot of things really successfully, and that includes the villains, because we see these connecting threads throughout these different characters and we see her kill again. We see her kill Narissa later on at the end of the season. She talks to Rios after about it and says how, again, she's like, I can't believe I went down this road. I can't believe I wanted to enact vengeance once again. It is eating at her. And I think it's something that she needs to like work on, you know? I mean, work on your revenge seeking tendencies, you know, because it won't bring that peace that she's desperately searching for and it won't bring back the people who were lost because of it and that's the hardest truth of all you know and i think that that's what she struggles with the most particularly because voyager had so many fake out deaths the i'm sure a lot of them were disillusioned to the fact of death because it's just like "Eh, they'll be alive by this anomaly next week or like we'll get them back before the end of this episode (laughs) you know i mean star trek does have a tendency to not actually follow through and kill off characters and so when they do it's all the more devastating and that's why egypt's death and hugh's death was so devastating also it's just amazing to me that throughout this villain series we have been talking about the deadly effectiveness of the Borg Mm -hmm. and in Picard I am so sad for all the XBs and we don't see a fully functioning Borg in the series at all Mm -hmm. we see like some that are activated in order to protect the recaptured Borg cube we don't see the queen or anything like that but we will soon anyway um just season two anyway yeah but yeah so it's just really interesting to me that the most feared and one of the most disturbing villains in Star Trek. Now in this series of Picard, we are able to feel a total 180 about them. And we are so sad for the people who were assimilated. There's no justice for me to have Egypt and Hugh die in this series. It is 
just so awful and i'm so mad i know like every time i think about hugh i think about iborg and like that's one of my favorite next gen episodes and then i just get even more sad and bad at the same time and so like yeah i also want to hunt down nerissa and kick her off that little cliff <laughs> like that sounds great yeah. <laughs> yeah and every time i think about egypt dying i think about all the amazing episodes we had in voyager where he found out that his parents like sold him off to the Borg because they couldn't take him and how Voyager took him and raised him as their own and Seven became his mom and Ashlyn I can't even look at you (laughs) he had all of these amazing like Borg children or Borg siblings that he was being raised with it's just like so devastating and I'm here to say once again we do so many proclamations Rihanna but I'm here to proclaim that I will watch an Egypt series and that's the only forgiveness I will take from the Star Trek brand is a full Egypt series. Yeah, Egypt <laughs> rights because honestly, he was in Starfleet. I want to learn the heck out of that. I mean, I would take a short trek. I would Thank take you. just a 20-minute short trek about Egypt from season 7 of Voyager to season 1 of Picard. That's what I want. Thank you. Even if it's a montage <sighs> with like a Rocky theme playing in the background. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Getting stronger. Yeah, it's him like yeah. doing pull-ups. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Ashlyn, I really like your question about Seven, though, and she's very complicated in this series, and I really appreciate what they did with her character, and I can't wait to see more, honestly. Same. I oh. think we should dive into the finale and yeah. really go into the nitty-gritty about the synths, the Tal Shiar, the Jad Vash, and Dr. Soon. Yes, Ashlyn. First of all, I am going to quote Attack on Titan here. When uh, Erwin talks to Aaron, he leans down and he says, who do you think the real villain is? And literally the entire time I'm watching Picard, I'm asking myself this question, especially for this rewatch. I'm asking myself, who is the real villain here? And Ashlyn, like we said earlier in this episode, we really don't get the full picture until the finale. We get glimpses. We get the wonderful episode in Broken Pieces where Rafi is starting to put together all of this information. Her conspiracy was right all along. Mars was not a random attack. It was done by the Romulans in order to instill fear of synths into the Federation and make them ban all synthetic life. Boom. Mic drop. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, so what's crazy about this is this whole plan started 14 years ago before the first episode when the Jat Vash took this group of women to see the vision and then Nerissa, the aunt, and Commodore O are the only ones that kind of are like doing okay afterward. So, I mean, I kind of have a lot of questions. Like we see Commodore O is absolutely surveying Starfleet like crazy. First Mm -hmm. of all, she's security officer. So that's her job. But she is watching Picard when he visits Agnes to talk about the synths in the very first episode. And then she comes up to Agnes and says, what did you talk about? She's getting all the information she can. This is Commodore O. And then she implants a device into Agnes so she can track her and she orders her because Agnes is a Starfleet officer. Commodore O instructs her to go with Picard follow him, do whatever he does. And then also she basically forces a mind meld onto Dr. Gerardi. Yeah. 
And I mean, this big be, Vulcan taboo. This should be your first sign that this lady's not practicing Vulcan tradition because you have to ask permission. You can't just like mind rape someone mm-hmm. if you've seen Enterprise. Like that doesn't end well. So she forces this vision onto Agnes, and Agnes is even like stuttering, like she's like, oh, uh, okay. You know, like she's not ready for this mind melt. Yeah, definitely not consenting. No, and she gets it nonetheless. It's this terrible vision. Poor Agnes is like puking. And I also want to point out that I don't think Gerardi saw the full vision that the Romulans and the Javash actually saw. I feel like she just saw maybe like five seconds of it. Yeah. And then because everyone else in that group like killed themselves. And I, I don't think that Gerardi has like the gumption to well, survive that yeah. type of like full vision, you know? I mean, and- true. She says she contemplates suicide every day since seeing that vision. Yeah. And so I think that Commodore O was just giving her a taste to manipulate her, which mm-hmm. obviously works because Gerardi throughout the season, she kills Prismatics, her lover and partner yeah. in work and play. <laughs> <laughs> and so all of this is leading up to the finale because they finally found out where Dodge and Soji come from and they found the planet of the synths. It's not even named. It's like this random planet that has numbers on it. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Soon is there. And this is not the Dr. Soon that we have met before. Yeah. <laughs> this is not like old man Soon. This isn't lore or data. This is actual Dr. Soon's son, like flesh son. Yeah, biological <laughs> from the womb. <laughs> and yeah. I, I just want to say, like, Rihanna, we don't know who his mother is because on next generation data's Data's mother mother, quote unquote was an android that dr soon built and so i guess soon just like stuck it in someone before he died and had a baby didn't even like care about him yeah i mean he said i'm not a synthetic life form of a fact which my father reminded me of a lot so i don't know how soon even like saw him (laughs) yeah or how like when they even interacted but I mean, either way, it's a brilliant way to just shoehorn Brent Spiner into this series because... Yeah, I mean, they did this for Enterprise. Like, it's just, yes. it's amazing, always. Soon and his 20 kids, like usual, like in Enterprise. I was like, oh my god, we get this trope again of his augmented kids. <laughs> I'm like head in hands right now because I never put together that, like, Ancestor Soon from Enterprise is literally like the same plot. Same guy, card. yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah, god. Yeah, only with, with, uh, with synths instead of augments this time ah, wow that shook me <laughs> yeah i know right i mean one soon is the same it seems yeah yeah so i mean luckily for us in our villain series this soon isn't evil he's just trying to continue his father's work and i mean it's lucky they have the same good brain <laughs> right yeah yeah um, the work that he's done on this planet created so many synths and we have golden soji as rihanna mentioned in the beginning yeah we have a lot of different synths that are in different states of completion we have some that are closer to data some that are closer to soji and it's really interesting to see the planet that he's made and man they are vengeful <laughs> yeah woof like 
I think like Picard, I wanted so desperately to find this planet and to see this world of synths and to realize, oh, they're only being vilified by the Romulans. And it's this whole, like, they're end up going to be so nice. But, like, they're not. They're very sneaky. They have these plots. and But they also ultimately want to survive. And they just go a terrible way about it. They're like, you know what? Actually, that's a great idea. Let's call this destroyer person. And then... We can just eliminate all biological life, and then we'll be good to go. No one can prosecute us anymore. The ban will be lifted because there'll be no one to ban us. You know, all of this stuff, which is very all-encompassing. It's making a lot of generalizations about the organics. And we learn, too, from Rios that this plot against the synths, like you said, Ashlyn, it's been going on for 15 years, or how you said 15, right? Uh, 14 years. 14 years it's been going on, and we know this, too, because... Rios's captain, Captain Vandermeer of the Ibn Majid, killed the two synthetics that they found who were just sort of journeying. I guess they're on the shuttle. Maybe they were sent from the home world to go explore, what have you. But he was ordered by Starfleet High Command to kill the synthetics and then, of course, to cover up all of the information about them and any sign that the synthetics were even there in the first place and he ends up killing himself like it's horrible he is so crushed by this guilt of being ordered to murder these two innocent lives you know and so probably Commodore Oak gave the order you know so it's just it's hard to hear about because you we know that this conspiracy and this plot against the synthetics has been going on for so long. Jad Bosch has been trying to stop this for so long, to stop history from repeating itself. Because apparently, in the admonition that they watched, this is what happened billions of years ago or whatever, where synthetic life became too powerful and reached a threshold that then called a destroyer of worlds who killed, like, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, I mean, I have so many questions about this because what we learn and I mean, we learn a lot that there's like that 10 minute scene on the planet and broken pieces. Mm-hmm. And I also just want to say in Romulan, that planet that they're on is called AIA. So AIA, which I thought was like close to AI. Which yeah, I thought was that's interesting. cool. And then in English, they call it the grief world. Mm. And the story that Commander O talks about, she's narrating over all of this, is that this planet was discovered because the women, there was just like a bunch of female Romulan explorers who were trying to discover the mystery of four planets that were in a planet fold. Eight, which, I think. Oh, eight planets that were in a, in like a fold? Yeah. I don't know what that means. Eight planets that were like, somehow had the power to pull them all together to generate a massive amount of energy that would allow for the admonition device to be created i guess which is a glimpse into the past yes thank you rihanna Mm -hmm. so that's why is like these romulan ladies were like what the heck is going on with these planets and so they went there they had these terrible visions and that's how the jot vash was formed and they also hypothesized i think narek talks about this too that these women came on that planet before their ancestors even reached vulcan so this was before the Romulans and Vulcans lived together on Vulcan. Like, this is long before that. And so this is a truly, really insanely ancient prophecy. That vision must have just been awful because the fact that they are so desperately trying to prevent synth life forever 
after seeing this, even to the point where two synths appear on a random starship that Commodore O just says, murder. You know, yeah. like, no questions asked, just murder them. It's just crazy to me, you know? Yeah, it is very on brand for the type of Romulan paranoia that is uh, so embedded into the culture. And I wonder partially if it's because of this. Yes, and Rihanna, yes. Yeah, because... I was thinking this. Literally, like, the amount... I mean, we learn that Romulans have a false front door and that you have to go around the back. And I actually, in The Last Best Hope, I read this whole section where they're on Romulus and they're trying to reach this main council person on Romulus who they're trying to convince like hey your son's about to go supernova you need to evacuate your citizens and of course he's like no no we don't want to cause chaos everything's fine you know the misinformation campaign all of that but there's this like crazy maze that Picard and his guide have to go through to even get to the house and even then the house has all of these traps and these fake doors and these different like codes or secrets that you need to know to even enter the place so there's just subterfuge stacked on layers of lies and secrecy and everything and that's just how Romulan society has been run for so many years and yeah I think Ashlyn this is so true this is something that probably stemmed from I mean definitely the fear of sins stemmed from the Jad Vash's uh, vision that they saw but also just the amount of secrecy and privacy that needs to be maintained at all times on Romulus is exhausting and frankly like terrifying because that's why I think that the aunt who goes crazy uh, when she's talking to Soji she calls mythology daily news or when like she said Romulans hate the word mythology because to them there's probably truths into all the myths because there's always truth to the secrets that they tell or there's the truth is hidden within these lies and subterfuge and so probably mythology is believed to be we just need to find the truth within these lies or within these fictions that are being told yes omg i'm like so into this right now <laughs> thank you me too it's fascinating it really is, and it reminds me, like, even your, you know, discussion about Una McCormack's book, it reminds me of Narek's whole speech about the exact weapons that these two synthetic sisters used to wield and how exactly they destroyed sentient life in the past. Yeah. <laughs> these facts are so well known to the Romulans that it's probably like bedtime stories. Their mother goose stories is... Yeah oh, this is how the android sisters, like, killed us all. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I I think it's probably, like, a combination of the vision and this deeply held belief that this thing that is unknown to us will destroy us. And, I mean, I'm just going to say one sentence about this. This is literally season two of Discovery. Yeah. Um, where's the connection? Why didn't they just combine these shows and have a crossover with, like, are they going to, like, have Discovery go back and meet Picard? This is all I want. Right I know. Now. Like, especially with Control becoming so powerful. Is it just Control? That's what I'm oh, saying. Oh, my God. That's what God. I'm saying is, like, this is Control, right? Like, isn't this just Control? Even the little arms look like that probe that, like, mutated. I know. I but know. much bigger. <laughs> Damn, Ashlyn, she's blowing us out of the water. <laughs> but the thing is, is that control was already stopped because of Michael's actions and the crew of the Discovery's actions way back before the original series even happened. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if, since now, that 
past is secure. Mm-hmm. The future is secure because of what Michael has done. Yeah. And now we've seen season three of Discovery, so like everything's fine. But is this just another breach where Control could have taken over the universe once more and destroyed everything? Right. Like maybe actually the Romulans are right and this will happen again. But thanks to Riker and Woo! Picard, it doesn't Woo! happen. Thanks to the power <laughs> of Picard's speeches. <laughs> That's what really saved the day. I mean, and the fact yeah. that he risked his life and the Picard maneuver. So there's some other factors, but that's a big one is his speech. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, Golden Soji didn't get away with it. (laughs) Yeah, that's the main goal. Yeah, Soji was really taken in by them, and understandably, this is her family. She's slowly remembering things about her planet and her home world the closer she gets, which I think is fascinating technology that, like, she gains more knowledge right as she realizes she needs to know it. (laughs) It's just there, which is so cool, but... I mean, like, I just, like, pour one out for Dr. Soon. Yeah. Like, any informatics, yeah, evil or not, like, oh, man, you're a genius. Right? I did not like how Maddox treated Data in Measure of a Man, but, like, I got a poor went out for him too because like Soji and Josh are truly remarkable. I'm really glad that Picard, obviously I'm glad that Picard was able to get through to Soji, but I think that it was only done because he, exactly like he said, I'm going to teach them that there are other ways than fear to learn, you know, because he says fear is a terrible teacher. And it's true. I mean, you can only sustain and control people with fear for so long. And once you give them a kernel of hope or you give them a Picard speech, that fear is eradicated. Absolutely. Period. (laughs) Period. Yeah. Well, I mean, the show's called Picard for a reason. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, this is amazing. And Ashlyn, do you think that they're going to bring this evil, overarching synthetic form back at some point? Do you think it's going to become maybe something that they do in section 31 or something they do in Picard later on. I mean, it seems like they try to do a wrap up like Discovery does where they have a season long arc, but then they wrap it up with defeating the villain at the final episode. But I still feel like there's so much left unwritten and unsaid about this major AI who comes when the threshold is broken or whatever, this destroyer that like, I'm just very curious and I want to know more, but I'm not sure if we will get any more. Especially because all the trailers about the next season of Picard are about Q and about yeah, and time how, travel. yeah, time travel. They're going to come back to LA, which literally I'm just going to say right now, I was living in LA while they were shooting Picard. So <laughs> I was like looking out for Rafi and Patrick Stewart every day. Right? Oh my God. Um, Amazing. Seven. But anyway, obviously in like we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast, in six months, you all are going to be laughing at us because you will know the answers. But my guess is that we're not going to go back to this synth plotline mm-hmm. unless it's in Lower Decks. Yeah. Because I could Lower see Decks that. is amazing and they will just like slip in answers to questions we've been waiting for for like 20 years. That's so true. Like what happened to Giant Spock. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> let, that's like a 50 year mystery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I really hope that we do get an answer because this Same. is this AI plotline that Discovery and Picard have been building up to is really interesting and it takes a lot of power to stop. So I hope we get an answer. I don't think we will. What I'm most excited about is that the frontier of Star Trek is not final. <gasps> <laughs> I can't look 
at you again. I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> because we have so much more Star Trek that's coming out right now. And it's because of us, because of all the fans that are listening right now. <laughs> and it's because of the power of Roddenberry's message that the future is hopeful. And the best part of this is that who knows there could be any number of series coming out that's going to continue to expand this universe so i'm here for it same we're gonna talk about it every chance we get catch ashlyn uh making me tear up (laughs) her amazing words just blow me away as usual i'm doing a hair flip it's you know casual Well, well, Rihanna, truly, thank you so much for talking about Picard and all the villains in this episode. I've had a blast in the villain series, and even though we haven't been able to get episodes out every single week, I think that the quality has been pretty great, and uh, I love watching these episodes. They're so much different from all the other ones we've been doing in these series, I'm so pumped to talk about Lower Decks, and I think we're going to have to throw in some animated series villains in as well. Yeah. And I just want to remind everybody that if you want a free sticker, you should sign up to contribute to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the Dora Sisters podcast. If you join in the month of September, because that's our year anniversary, you will be getting a free sticker in the mail. Yeah, and um, I'll be posting a picture of these stickers. They just came to my house. They look very beautiful. And I can show you just how gorgeous they look. And then you might be tempted to donate even just a dollar to our Patreon, and we will send you that sticker free of charge. Just a dollar. Yeah, that's all you need. And you will get a free sticker. So... We just really want to thank our listeners for sticking with us for a year. Or if you're a new listener, we are so thankful for you for choosing to listen to our podcast. It's the joy of our lives, truly. Truly is. Thank you so much. And we love and appreciate you and hope that your week is full of success and kapla. Kapla! Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week. For the eighth episode of our villain series, where Ashen and Rihanna will discuss the villainous characters in Lower Decks. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check our content out on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and even more at patreon.com slash the Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these awesome podcast series, the pilot episodes, family, love and affection, and time travel. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these episodes. Social media and marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith. And our outro, Worst Revenge, is by Arilla Voltaire. Hey, I, I'm just thinking about Star Trek. I know you can't talk, but I just, like, uh, I, I wish I could sit down with the writers, or even better, I could just, like, be employed as an idea giver to the writers. Because I would say, next Star Trek day, we're having an Enterprise, where are they now, special.
and the whole crux of the plot is they're trying to find um, <laughs> they're trying to find the Porthos because Scotty beamed him away, and so like they bring the whole crew back together to try to see where Scotty beamed him to, and then like everyone's having a great time and trip is alive, and it turns out that Deanna and Riker had a dream about the finale. I mean, th- th- this is all I'm saying. It- is this is what I want, and I think I should be allowed to have what I want. So, anyway, and also I can't stop thinking about Janeway and Chakotay. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just like that's all I think about is them getting together. So, cool. All right, love you. Bye. <laughs>